0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: Hello, welcome to the History Hit World Wars podcast, a podcast dedicated to that turbulent period in history between 1914 and 1945. I'm James Rogers, and in this episode, I'm going to say it, we're going to explore an aspect of Second World War history that's pretty unknown. The Battle of the Atlantic, we know about. It was the longest continuous military campaign of the Second World War. It's rightly recognised and has its place in history as those convoys of ships that desperately tried to dodge German U-boats and air attacks as they attempted to send those vital supplies from North America to Europe and the Soviet Union. But one little-known aspect of this history is the role that Iceland played in the Battle of the Atlantic. Legendary Icelandic director, producer, and presenter Jon Arnsell joins us to tell us about this astounding history and the exploits of individual Icelanders. In particular, we focus on a dark story, that of the SS Godofoss, an Icelandic ship carrying supplies and civilians that was sunk by U-boats off the coast of Iceland. It's a tragic event that has become known as Iceland's Titanic. Jon, thank you so much for coming on the World Wars. How are you doing today? Fine, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. The nights are getting shorter. It's getting a bit darker here, but you're in Iceland, so you knew all about that, don't you?
2: Yeah, it's getting darker and darker and, and uh, the rainy season has started, as I call it, the winter here. Is it dark 24 hours a day at the moment? No, but it will get to that during Christmas. No, no, but it's been a lovely, lovely autumn. That's good. Apart from you've just had an earthquake. Yeah, <laughs> that's Iceland. But uh, yeah, apart from that, we had some lovely days. Yeah, we had an earthquake and that happens every now and then and in between eruptions and so on and so on.
1: I like this very chill Icelandic approach to, <laughs> to earthquakes. Well, let's dive into um, another earthquake of sorts, I guess, one that shook Icelandic society during the Second World War, and this was the sinking of the SS Godafoss. Now, what was the SS Godafoss?
2: Well, it's a story that took place 75 years ago, and we are still talking about it and reciting it. One of the horror stories of the war. And I wonder, you know, will we ever learn? We are still fighting somehow. And this is just one of many thousands sad stories from the Second World War. Icelanders, we are so optimistic. We call the war the latter war, the later war, as it was only two wars, the Great War and, and then the later war, Second World War.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I suppose it's an optimistic way of thinking about it, isn't it? Instead of two world wars, you've got the Great War, and then I suppose that later war as well that came (laughs) along.
2: So how was the SS Godafoss caught up in this? This was a ship, right? Yeah, it was our biggest and finest passenger and cargo ship, and it was coming from New York. All our business during the war was with America, so to speak, you know. All our goods, import, came from America because Europe was locked. Except for uh, the fishermen, Icelandic fishermen, that took their fish to England. But yeah, Góðavos was coming from New York via Scotland. In these days, uh, ships traveled in convoys. So Góðavos was coming in a convoy from New York to Scotland. And then a few days there, waiting for another convoy from Scotland to Reykjavík home. And this journey was two months, a two-month journey to go to New York and back and in the Atlantic Ocean, always worrying about the U-boats. So it was a dangerous journey, but uh, everything had uh, went well and and a lot of passengers were on board. People were eager to come home to Reykjavik and it was only two hours from Reykjavik Harbor when a German U-boat hit the ship, you know, and it sank in a few minutes. The ship was uh, kind of our pride and uh, had been built in Denmark. Iceland was under Denmark at that time. But 1944, June 1944, we got our independence. We used the opportunity because Denmark was under the Nazis and they couldn't take care of our foreign affairs. So we declared independence 17th of June, 1944. So it was a free nation and the situation in Iceland was people were celebrating freedom, really, from Denmark in the middle of the war. And the war had been in many ways good to us, though we lost a lot of people and it had been difficult in many ways, but in many ways it was a blessing, you know. People talked about the blessed war because it brought money to Iceland, and it brought new equipment. Farmers saw new machines that both the American and the English army brought to Iceland. Barbed wire was introduced to to Iceland, and the farmers loved the barbed wire for their sheep, and the price of fish went up during the war. So it was an exciting time in many ways. And and think of all the soldiers, you know, both the English and the American soldiers that filled the streets of Reykjavik. And we didn't see so much of the horrors of the war than as many Europeans did, except that we lost our people at sea. So that was more or less the, the situation in Iceland. And the war was coming to an end, 1944 when the ship is sunk just outside the Reykjavik harbour.
1: Well, why were there so many British and American troops in Iceland? Because we know about the Atlantic convoys, of course, and that battle for the Atlantic, which I think was the longest continuous military campaign of the Second World War. And we even hear a little about the Arctic convoys and that vital supply line but we hear less about Iceland's
2: role. Why was it so important? Well, the situation of the island in the middle of the North Atlantic Ocean is perfect, and it was very much needed for the Allies when they were bringing all those goods from America to Russia, for example. And there was a constant stream of goods from America to Europe. And it was important for having a station here... And it was mainly in one place called Kvalfjörður, Whalefjörd, which is not far away from Reykjavík, the capital city. And the Whalefjörd was the place. They built up a huge base there, a station where they could tank oil and yeah, this was the main kind of base for this transatlantic adventure, really. And, you know, the British Prime Minister was here in Kvalfjörður. I hear that he met the Americans on a meeting just before the Americans joined the war. Churchill was here in Kvalfjörður. And it was an important place and it kept on after the war because, you know, NATO has a big base here in Iceland and has had it since the war. So that was the situation. And we were also blessed by the fish because the waters around Iceland are among the best fishing waters in the world. And, you know, we fished a lot of fish and that fish was sold in England. And price of food went up and the fishermen brought a lot of money. It was a good time for Icelandic fishermen. Though we lost more people bringing this fish to England per capita than the Americans during the Second World War. So it came at a big price.
1: That is really interesting to think about, isn't it? Because you don't often hear about how the UK was fueled; it was supplied with protein by these brave fishermen. And a lot of the British merchant fleet and fishing fleet had also been turned into minesweepers as well. So it would have been incredibly important to draw on that Icelandic fishing fleet to bring that source of food into the UK. How perilous was this? Did you have any family members who were part of the Icelandic fishing fleet? Because I went to university in Hull in the UK, and we hear a lot about how everyone in Iceland was a fisherman at that time.
2: (laughs) Yeah, my father was a captain, and my mother had seven brothers, and they were all trawler captains. So the war was a big thing when I was brought up, and I was born 1950, and just after the war, and people were always telling stories about the war, and so that was very much it when I was a child. And it's strange how things go away. Like for today, you don't, come across the Second World War except in movies or every now and then. It's not an everyday talk somehow. It was an everyday talk when I was little. Yeah, my father had uh, two times he was swimming in the Atlantic Ocean because his vessels went down. He was on trawlers and two of his trawlers were steamed down, so to speak. It was a coalition, both times north of Scotland. At that time, the ships had to be lightless. They couldn't have lights on the ships. That was the rule. So, in the first case, there was a huge English cargo ship, Duke of York, that sailed the trawler down. And uh, there, there were only three people that survived, and among them was my father. And uh, similar things happened again. But he was saved. and. He was taking, in both cases, to England, and I remember white, beautiful white trousers he had been given in England or in Scotland to wear after the accident. And later I used those trousers a lot. They were in when I was a youngster. Teenager. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. It wasn't just barbed
1: wire that was brought to Iceland. It was also
2: English fashion. (laughs) <laughs> Your white trousers. Yeah. But this is how it goes. Uh, now this is more or less history to us. It's really quite unthinkable,
1: isn't it, that these ships had to go out there and not only brave the Atlantic, the storms of the Atlantic, Mother Nature, but also dodge U-boats and then also have their lights off and dodge giant cargo ships as well. It's perilous, doesn't even seem to be the word, does it?
2: Yeah, and mainly the danger was the pack, the German U-boats. They were the danger, real danger, in the North Atlantic. And most of the trawlers, Icelandic trawlers that went down, were torpedoed by German U-boats. And this is what happened with Guadagos. It was a German U-boat that was lurching just outside the Reykjavik and had been for weeks coming from Norway, where the Germans were also. and It was called U-300, and something like 50 people on board. And they suddenly see in their snorkel this small convoy coming to Reykjavik. And they managed to sink right away one ship, and that appeared to be an English oil tanker called Sirvan. And in two shots, they sank the Sirvan, and... The English sailors were, uh, a lot of them died right away, but about 20 lived and they were rescued by this Icelandic passenger ship, Godafoss. But they were heavily burned and not only burned, they were all covered in oil. But luckily there were two doctors on board the Icelandic passenger ship. A young couple that was coming home, uh, they had been studying in, in New York. And they took care of the British seamen and they were helping them, but only for half an hour or so because the German U-boat then torpedoed Góðafors. And it blew up and sank in seven minutes. And this was the biggest loss Iceland had in one day during the war. And the sad thing is that all of the English sailors died that day too. Only one of them survived.
1: So they had to be dragged out the water, covered in oil, burnt, finally getting medical attention from two young doctors, and then they're sunk again.
2: Yeah. They died two times that day, so to speak. And this was only one story of many. There were a lot of children on board, and they all died. And strangely enough, though this was not far away from land, so to speak, only two bodies were found after the accident. And uh, these were two brothers, two little children, brothers. And they were found on a black sandy beach some weeks later. And the story goes that they were in each other's arms when they were found, the two little boys. They were clutched together.
1: It highlights the unrestricted, unrelenting, indiscriminate nature of the U-boat campaign in the Atlantic, doesn't it? The fact that no matter if you're a military ship or a trading ship with civilians on board, you're going down because it's an attempt to try and block, to strangle the population and to stop them getting that vital food source. Is it perhaps right to say that this is Iceland's Titanic or Iceland's Lusitania? How has it gone down in Icelandic memory?
2: Yeah, that's a good point. It's our Titanic accident somehow. And uh, there are books written about it. I did a television programme on it uh, a few years ago. And uh, people are also eager to find the, the shipwrecks. And there's been a lot of many, many attempts to find Godafoss on the bottom of the sea. Also because not only that this is our Titanic, so to speak, but um, it was full of valuable things. And among the cargo was a car that was a gift from the American president to the Icelandic president. A beautiful car, and the story goes that It had a golden rod or wheel. A lot of people are interested in finding the car and also there was a lot of copper on board the ship. So the cargo was valuable and a lot of whiskey also. Many people are interested in the liquor that was on board. Now it's 75 years old whiskey.
1: Wow. So the history of the Foss might not be over yet, especially with the rise of treasure hunters across the world looking for lucrative bounties.
2: Yeah, it is. And I took part in trips trying to find the wreckage because that was part of the film I was doing. And we searched and searched with the newest equipment, but we didn't find anything. But the current is a hard current where the ship went down And also another problem is that it isn't very deep. It's something like 40, 50 meters deep where the ship went down. So the wind, the waves, the current are enemies in that way. Well, Jan, next time I'm in
1: Iceland, we can go out hunting for the Godafoss.
2: Yeah, and right now I'm working on another shipwreck, and that's a ship that went down Stranded in Iceland 1667 and it was coming from the Far East home to Amsterdam, got bad weather north of Scotland and stranded in Iceland full of gold, silver, silk and diamonds. And people have been looking for that ship for a long time. Het Wapen van Amsterdam was it called and was one of the biggest and finest ship of the Dutch fleet at that time. Why it was north of Scotland is because of the Dutch-English wars. The English ruled the waves around England, and so the Dutch fleet had to go west and north of Scotland to wait for uh, ships to follow them home to Amsterdam. And that was why it ended up in Iceland.
1: Iceland may have lacked white trousers, but one thing Iceland doesn't lack is history. And so I really look forward to getting you back on the show again, Jon, to talk more about this. But where can people hear, watch, read more about Godafoss?
2: Well, I did a film on Godafoss a few years ago, and it is in English, and it is called The Attack on Godafoss. The Lost Ship, is it called in English? You got it. I sent you a copy. I have got it. (laughs) I've, I've watched it I recommend
1: that anybody listening out there everybody listening out there to go and to watch this film it sparked my interest so much that we had to get Jon on to talk about this fascinating story because it really does give us a glimpse into Iceland's role in the war as well which like I say I really think is such an untold part of Second World War history Jon, thank you so much for coming on the show Thank you, James